Welcome to Tech Empire. I'm your host, Michael Quet. Today we have on the show Tariq Jenkins, Leslie London, and Nadine Dirks to discuss the controversial construction of a new Amazon headquarters on indigenous land in Cape Town, South Africa. This is shaping up to be an important and iconic struggle against digital colonialism in the, in the global South, uh, something to keep a close eye on. Um, Tariq is chair at Sara Restorative Justice Forum, Center for African Studies at the University of Cape Town, and a, a member of the Gorinaikona Khoikon Indigenous Traditional Council. Leslie is a professor heading the School of Public and Family Medicine at the University of Cape Town and chairperson of the Observatory Civic Association, which has actively opposed the development project. Nadine Dirks is campaign organizer for the Leesbeck Action Campaign. Tariq, Leslie, Nadine, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so uh, in, in the last episode, we spoke with a journalist, uh, Louise Metsakis, about Amazon's exploitation of workers in the global South. Today, we're gonna to be digging into the company's new headquarters in, in Cape Town. The project, which costs over 4 billion Rand, which is more than 300 million US dollars, is being opposed by some South African indigenous groups who say the land is sacred and should be declared a World Heritage Site. This will go to the South African courts, if I'm correct here, and uh, we'll be digging into what the controversy is about. Um, Tech Empire is part of the Yale Podcast Network and can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. On Twitter, visit Tech Empire Cast. All right, so let's just uh, start with the basic question. We've seen a lot of coverage about this in the media. The Wall Street Journal ran a, a big piece on it, um, and obviously in, in the South African press. Um, what's going on with the construction of this new Amazon headquarters in Cape Town? Maybe uh, we'll start off with Leslie. I'll kick off. Um, so Amazon are, are the anchor tenant to this development, which uh, originated when land that was public land was sold to private owners, uh, the people who ran a golf club actually on the land. Uh, it was railway land. <clears throat> uh, they then started a speculative process of uh, developing a proposal to redevelop it, which would require the river to be infilled, the floodplain to be infilled, and 150,000 square meters of concrete to be placed on it. Uh, it's a very dense development, up to 40 meters uh, high, uh, certainly the highest in the entire area. Uh, and it's part of a park, it's part of an urban park <clears throat> and a particularly important heritage site and also very environmentally sensitive. Uh, Amazon occupies the bulk of Precinct 2 uh, and without Amazon, the project will not go ahead and that's been said by the developers themselves in their court papers. Okay, so, so if I'm looking at this from, I never heard of this before, there is um, this land here, um, it's, it's, Historically, it has a lot of um, history there going on, um, for lack of better words. And it's also a place um, which many believe should should be protected for biodiversity. Um, there's a, a crisp, or coming together of two rivers. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, Tariq, can you tell us a little bit about um, or, or Nadine, either one, um, you know, what's the historical significance of this, um, you know, place? The area in of itself, we know that um, the space has been the site of many wars against colonization, which I'm sure Tariq is in a way better position to tell you about in depth. However, um, aside from that, I think, what people don't realize is how important water is to the indigenous way of life. And more so than, you know, what you would think as in to drink and to sustain our lives. But also it is a place of play. All over South Africa, all over Southern Africa, where there are places where you find water, be it uh, seawater or fresh water, doesn't matter. It is a place where we come together and we pass life. 
which is a, a sort of a prayer um, and then a, a sort of an acknowledgement as well of the ancestors who, you know, lived here before we did and walked on the same soil and, you know, as we do now. And so there's that element of the land and the water to begin with. But that site in particular is also a place where unions took place. So I suppose what people would now consider a marriage um, is what our people did on that land as well. And so to strip away that part of the land and just look at it as just an empty lot or a place that needs development ignores all of us in this in the city and in this country who are still very much alive and have no say in what happens in this land. And I think, you know, people don't consider that. They don't consider that we are still alive. You know, when people speak about indigenous people, they talk about us as we as if you know, it's a, some sort of myth or mythical creature that doesn't exist anymore. And we, we are very much still alive. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, Tariq, could you tell us a little bit about um, what you'd like to, to add in and on that? And especially um, just a little history for also for the audience, right? Like um, there was conflict between uh, the indigenous people and the Portuguese um in this area and then obviously Jan van Riebeck who came to um uh colonize uh the Cape um that it's also a historic site there as well on behalf of the Dutch East India Company and what's when we think about this too there's this kind of um symbolism if you want to think of it that way too Amazon coming in as a, as a big multinational so um could you speak a little bit um, you know, to this? Thanks, Michael. Um, this particular precinct is considered an epicenter of uh, liberation and resistance in our country. It's the place where on the 1st of March, 1510, um, the indigenous Khoi groups defeated uh, the Portuguese, then headed by Francisco de Almeida, who um, was the first viceroy to India under the Portuguese administration. He sacked India, uh, pretty much controlled Eastern West Africa at the time, uh, came around the Cape of Good Hope, uh, anchored a table bay, moved up um, along the embankments, and then in uh, in what's known as today's Odomolan raided that kraal, um, and then was met by a standing Khoikhoi army that defeated him and killed him and about 18 of his captains and 87 of his men. This particular incident uh, which Western historians have kind of brushed off as, as a kind of obscure battle, uh, was really mm. significant in that it, um, it actually stopped the Portuguese uh, from um, ostensibly creating a slave Portuguese slave colony um, in what is today South Africa. But then we move mm. from the 1510 battle. Uh, later on, we encounter the world's largest company then, the Dutch East India Company. They, along these embankments, um, gifted land for the first time to the employees, the Freeburgers. Um, and what's important about this is that uh, they gifted the land through the deployment of Roman Dutch law via title deeds. So we can definitively place where land was ostensibly stolen for the first time and justified by Roman Dutch law um, mm. in, terms of, in terms of land theft. When, mm. when the occupation then started and the expansion of the land along these embankments began to, to, to move uh, further, we saw the dislocation of indigenous people from the river um, and a war broke out as a result. At that time, remember, these were the first commercial farms that were established by the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch required uh, labor to till the topsoil. And therefore, we saw the importation of slaves from around its colonies, Java, Madagascar, Goa, Indonesia, uh, Eastern West Africa. And here, a population that was forcefully removed from the oceans came to this embankment intermingled with the Khoi and, and the Dutch and um, and today form part of a very important 
descendant tributary uh, group um, that are related to to the Silent Khoi in the Western Cape and and around South Africa. But what's important is that the the, uh, the first frontier war broke out in 1659. This precipitated over a 180-year period through 16 different Khoi and San wars of liberation and resistance. It resulted mm. in the eventual genocide of the Cape San, which is an unrecognized genocide in this country, mm. and also the extirpation, extinction of sacred animals like the blue buck, the quaha, the Cape mm. lion. Um, so mm. for us, we, we recognize this as a um, our ground zero precinct. It is our it is our place of of beginning to say this is where the original sin happened. This is mm. where restorative justice must happen. It's a site that's been marked for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission for the San and Kwe to look at the intergenerational trauma, the incidences as it first happened in our country of dispossession, dislocation, occupation, genocide, mm. massacre, ethnocide, linguicide, etc. And mm. um, it's a site that is currently undergoing a, a national heritage grading process. Uh, the president last year in June, President Suramaposa, uh, and his cabinet approved the National Coinsan Liberation and Resistance Route, which the site is a part of. It's also a part of a precinct that's slated to UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. So what we want is a World Heritage Site. And um, the irony of having the world's largest company um, and the world's richest man wanting to put a price on something that is so, so sacred to all of us um, means that... Uh, um, it opens up a very dangerous precedent for all First Nations and Indigenous groups around the world in Africa and Indigenous mm. communities around here because uh, it means that what is sacred will be commodified. Um, and, um, and, and so the historical uh, kind of uh, irony of how history is repeating itself where we see kinds of mechanisms of divide and conquer being deployed um, in as far as um, you know, ways of splintering uh, the unity amongst some of the silent core groups around this matter um, and and how it would appear that uh, you know um, a company has that amount of sway with the city of Cape Town and the province in as far as what we believe are, are serious flaws and irregularities um, against um, um, clear policy violations of, of policy but as as, 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 as as professor London said earlier putting 150,000 square meters of concrete bulk on a floodplain is just is just unlawful it goes against the Paris agreement it goes against um, any notion that uh, recently you know uh, Jeff Bezos has been telling the uh, cop 26 around you know um, uh, putting $30 billion towards uh, climate change mitigation on the continent or $2 billion out of his earthworks project when um, he, this particular development is, 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 is an antithesis of what, uh, he, he, you know, of what uh, Amazon is now taking the world stage for making certain claims um, mm. uh, and, and so forth. So th this area is, is deeply sensitive, not just to the San and Khoi, but to South Africans, Southern Africans. And also it speaks to the history of the ancestors of mankind herself. Um, mm. And in terms of our spiritual uh, sense of, um, of, 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 restore, of restoration, of restorative justice, this is, is our epicenter. This is our ground zero precinct. Yeah. Um, and so that, that um, issue of, of taking over um, an area which is and should be considered um, a sacred ground and, and um, a heritage site is, is made all the worse, right, when you take into consideration um, the environmental impact. And so core to this conversation is 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 almost like these two elements if if i'm correct here um and the um uh there's been a lot of controversy over this i have from a um uh post on on one of your websites uh it says environmental experts including some officials from the city of cape town have expressed concerns that the project doesn't fully consider the potential impacts of climate change, especially since the plans include filling in parts of a floodplain. Um, and um, there, there's uh, the prospect of regular um, 
very costly flooding. Uh, there's also biodiversity costs. Um, would somebody like to, to speak to um, the core um, issues that are there for um, environmental hazards? Thanks, Michael. You're absolutely right. The, the um, city's own environmental experts, their scientists, their technical people, they read this plan and they were pretty horrified because this plan goes against all the city's own plans around climate change mitigation and flood management. Um, yet the city went ahead and approved it. And we think it's because basically sort of uh, senior officials wanted this uh, development approved. But actually, if you look at the evidence, uh, there are multiple uh, climate change policies, this policy, uh, this development infringes. It's actually not a good idea for climate change resilience to infill your floodplains. You need your floodplains to be able to absorb water, to recharge the aquifer, absorb heat. Um, the, the idea that you would infill a river is, is quite bizarre. The only reason why this development is infilling the river is because the original course of the river is a problem for the plan if it is to put 150,000 square meters of concrete on the site, because you have to leave 35 meters uh, undeveloped next to a river. And if that river continued to exist, they wouldn't be able to fit the 150,000 square meters on that small site. So their solution to the problem of the river is to infill it and turn it into what's called a swale, which is basically a vegetated depression in the ground. And the river is underneath, is underground. Uh, because they lifted up the surface of the whole area. Uh, so it doesn't flow as a river. It just exists as an underground pool of water. And when it rains heavily, the, the water will well up. Um, so what they're essentially doing is removing the original course of the river. And the original course of the river is slated for inclusion in that National Koyan San uh, Heritage Liberation Route. So it's removing something that is both important for heritage and a water body is important for climate change mitigation. Um, the city's own experts objected to it, but the city overrode it. And, and we absolutely convinced that while, you know, COP16 negotiations are going on, this is a classic example of a development decision that puts the economy, puts money ahead of any sustainable development. It's a very narrow view of what sustainable development is. Yeah, and um, I would add to that from again from your website. Um, this site is one of unique biodiversity, <clears throat> with rare and endangered plants and animals, from toads to rare breeding otters. Uh, the two rivers' convergence is a green lung in an urban world. The unique biosphere is one that is vital for all of us. The wetlands also serve as an important water catchment area, limiting flooding to to neighboring uh, communities. Um, so we're looking then at, let's make sure we have a clear picture of, of what's going on here. Um, maybe somebody can, can bring us through the history of this, right? So there's going to be a development project. Uh, it's already in progress and it's in this area. Um, um, and uh, there are a number of actors uh, it's on indigenous grounds. It's environmentally hazardous. Um, what does this like? So we know Amazon obviously is a big part of this, but they're not the only actor in this space. So where did this project actually start? When did it start? And what is it, um, you know, ultimately? Because it's not just an Amazon headquarters building, right? There's other stuff going on there. Maybe Nadine, you want to take that? or Anybody else can, can join in? I didn't quite get the question um, fully, Michael. Oh, okay. Um, so where did this, um, so this started, if I'm, if I'm correct, this started around 2016 and yeah. that um, there are a number of actors involved and it's not just like an Amazon headquarters building, but there's gonna be other things mm -hmm. that are built in conjunction with it. So can you just take us through kind of, um, you know, naming the names, um, the areas that are covered and, um, you know, the infrastructure that is in progress and planned to, to go down. So um, from my understanding, it's going to be a comp 
complete headquarters of Amazon Africa. But aside from that, there is going to be like a, a garden section as well as an amphitheater. And then from my understanding, what seems to be like, um, I don't know, apartments or, or you know, kind of an entire building um, for other businesses as well to be in. So kind of think of it as a massive um, center. But the issue with that is, and then um, Leslie and Tariq can kind of come in and talk about the, the other, you know, parts of it that I'm missing. But essentially what I'm getting at is that the difficulty with a, a property of this magnitude is that it firstly it's in the, the most awful part of our city aside of oh yeah, the the significance of the land if we just look at the location it's completely awful and i think the idea with the old garden amphitheater and all of that is to sort of appease the people and appease um you know the i suppose rebut the argument about um, you know nature and conserving nature by having you know a little garden or whatever they're planning, but the thing that people don't understand is biomes are extremely fragile. You cannot mess up a biome by you know infilling a river and then expecting the garden to work as it would. It, it's it's impossible. These things are inter intermingled, and I don't think that's been taken into consideration. But um, yeah, essentially that is the plan. It's going to be a mammoth, you know, property in in the kind of the middle of the the city, which um, I don't know if anyone's explained this, but there is massive highways, kind of in the center of all of this, right? And these highways go into our city center every day. So if you think of, you know, LA traffic or New York traffic, that is what it's like already every single day going into these, you know, massive parts where it's kind of the business district of our city. And so traffic's already extremely piled up there. This will only make it worse. And it will also make affordability and living in that area even more difficult for our people who are already not able to live there. And this is not just because of colonization and the whole, you know, 1652, what, 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 all of those things, but it's also because of the um, Group Areas Act, which was a product of apartheid, which removed Black people from the city center and took us all the way to the Cape Flats. So the parts that white people didn't want, that's where they stuck us. And that's where we remain. And it is 20, what, 27 years into our democracy now. And that's where we continue to be. So and this is a big issue on multiple levels because, you know, it, it's it's a housing issue. It's an affordability issue. It's a climate issue. It's, it's There's so many components to this. But yeah, I think, you know, Possibly Prof. Um, London will be able to tell you a bit more about the in-depth of the um, kind of building plan and tell you what exactly they have planned. Maybe I can just jump in quick, um, just yeah. to talk about the initial sale, um, <clears throat> you know. So in, in 2015, um, the National Railway Authority um, sold off this portion of land. Now remember the, the River Club is about uh, sort of 19 hectares and it's part of a 200 hectare area which is um, protected um, by uh, various uh, conservation policies known as the Two Rivers Urban Park. Um, the, the, the particular area of the River Club was then sold off in, in 2015 uh, to the tune of about 12 million rand which would include the clubhouse and, an, and, um, um, and a Mashi golf course. Uh, we then uh, sort of see this same area being kind of, you know, insured for about 100 million uh, with the bank within a very short period of time. And then within months after that, you know, we begin to see uh, overtures of a development of 3.5 billion. So one of the, the key questions would be, and, you know, one understands how th these kinds of things work, not just here, but around the world, is that you can purchase a, a, a piece of land which is zoned public open space for a certain amount of money. And uh, the way to become a millionaire or a trillionaire or a billionaire overnight 
is literally to have that result. So, um, you know, one of the questions would be is then how would a bank, for example, be, um, be granting that kind of insurance at 10 times the amount of how it had been put? Um, you know, were there, were there any other kinds of indications or sureties that were given, uh, say, by those who are responsible for the rezoning, which in this case would be the city of Cape Town, uh, one. And, and, and then secondly, um, we, we kind of almost see a, a, a a kind of almost a toolkit of of, of how um, a a piece of land that's uh, zoned for public open space in this case uh, a one that's also within a conservation area um, would go through um, you know a package it would basically go through a package of plans which um, uh, would be seeming more public consultation processes happen. So it's almost as though that the you know uh, the political decision of 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 this um, of this um, was given kind of you know favor or at least you know um, a, a go ahead uh, because uh, despite the the countless uh, sort of uh, engagements of so-called meaning. Uh, consultation processes that the civics and the First Nations communities and so on have, have gone, including a two-year heritage tribunal, um, which basically um, found that this site is at the very least worthy of provincial, if not national heritage site. Um, the, the heritage aspects of it have, have pretty much been um, been ignored uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, we, we, we're sitting with a situation where somehow this kind of uh, um, Concrete um, and this kind of development is 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 uh, you know is being is being allowed. So right now, when you go onto the site, there are there are boulders on site, um, uh, and in their numbers, it's almost like it's like a mini Dubai, um, and um, and uh, in, in spite of the fact that there is a court case that's happening on the twenty fourth and twenty fifth of this month, um, you, you 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 see that you know the the developer has made choices that they are bent on on uh, putting, on catalyzing this as much as they possibly can um, of this development. Um, and we asked the question about that. If, for example, they, you know, if they would lose the case, would they do what happens elsewhere, where you have a situation where you've got a building that has six floors, a developer decides to build a seventh floor, violates the policy, and then loses in court, and then literally says, okay, we'll pay the fine. So has the fine been factored in, in into this, and, and those kinds of things, you know? Um, so uh, I, I think uh, I'll head over to maybe uh, Prof. Leslie can also give some uh, some you know some insight on 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 the extent to which there has been tremendous dialogue between civil society um, and 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 the various authorities at so many different levels. Um, you know, around this uh, around this particular uh, question. Uh, Michael, if I could just add to Nadine and Tarek's comments. Oops, am I, am I muted now? Um, sure. I think I want to make two comments about the whole process. So one is about the question of collusion. So we've seen the way the city and the provincial authorities have really made made it as easy as possible for the developers to get their approvals. So, for instance. Uh, the city and the province both joined the developer to oppose a heritage protection order issued by Heritage Western Cape. Instead of actually saying, let's support Heritage Western Cape to grade the area, which is what the intention of the protection order was, they joined the developers to oppose the protection order. Uh, and they said, no, 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 well, there is an environmental impact assessment underway and that will look after the heritage. Well, we've seen what the, that process has yielded. It's basically yielded an authorization and concrete and destruction of heritage. Um, in fact, in the tribunal outcome, the chair of the tribunal made the point that there was this unseemly coll um, collusion between the developers and different branches of government. Uh, and he made it quite clear because it emerged very clearly in the tribunal. And it, it's so um, obvious that the Department of Public Works and Transport is now trying to challenge that directive um, by removing that reference to its collusion with the developers. Uh, the city, uh, for its part, uh, also opposed that protection order, and they also put a special municipal planning tribunal together in order to uh, approve the rezoning, even though, even though 
the application had two criteria met that required that the application should be re-advertised. Uh, so they exercised their discretion and decided that even though two years had lapsed since the um, first advertising of the application, and even though new information was available, both of which are criteria to re-advertise the rezoning so that there can be proper public participation, they went ahead and approved it. We've seen also that the Department of Environmental Affairs officials who, who approved the development, they were part of a sort of very strange ad hoc a meeting convened by a economic war room uh, structure created in order to facilitate development and remove obstacles to development by the province uh, convened a meeting to supposedly resolve the, the impasse with Heritage Western Cape. So there's been a lot of um, uh, assistance given to the development go ahead. We actually are not sure even if the developers have building plans approved while they continue. Second point I want to make is the lack of transparency. So Amazon were never initially touted as being part of this development. And in the course of the environmental impact assessment, we came across documents in the public domain, which showed clearly that Amazon was slated to be tenants. But before the uh, end date for comments, these documents were removed from the website of the consultants who were running the, the EIA. <clears throat> when we asked them, uh, excuse me, why have you removed these documents? They said, oh, mistake, we'll put them back. Uh, so they put back the documents, but they didn't put back the documents that mentioned Amazon. So very strange. So we asked them, why is that the case? So they said, no, um, it's proprietary documents. It was confidential. It was meant for the zoning application, the other application. It's very funny because actually uh, the rezoning application wasn't put out for public comment at all. Uh, it was put out in 2018 and Amazon didn't feature. And by the time it got to the tribunal, well, Amazon was a fair complete. Um, so there's a lot of lack of transparency. Um, in their court papers now, the developers, both the developers and the city, refer extensively to the fact that Amazon are a key uh, tenant. Um, you know, the whole development will collapse if Amazon are scared off. Uh, and today we received um, a lawyer's letter or the, or the papers from the developers, the lawyers, saying they're trying to remove from evidence uh, material we've put to the court that shows that, in fact, Amazon 19 uh, sites it could choose from didn't have to choose the River Club. It had a shortlist of five, and then it had a shortlist of three. So there were other opportunities for Amazon to, to locate its headquarters, not this particular really important site. But yet the developers are trying to remove that from the court papers. So there's a complete lack of transparency and willingness to be open. We've written to Amazon on a number of occasions, never got a reply, never got a reply. So I think they are more or less riding on this. They're hiding behind other people taking the heat. Um, but there is a, a piece of graffiti painted on the wall of the Lisbeck River, which says, um, same colonists, different ships. And I think that applies to Amazon. Same colonists, it's just a different ship. Yeah. And... Um... I know that there's been uh, quite a bit of activism against this, and and um, we can speak about that in, in a second. I just want to say for the audience, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, rezoning basically means that you're recategorizing the property and changing the restrictions that are yep. put on it so that you can you can develop, right? Okay. So this, this process of rezoning was really starting to take place around, what, 2016, 2015, 2016? Well, the development started in 2016. They applied yeah. for rezoning in 2018. They got okay. the approval in 2020, and the appeal was chucked out in 2021. Yeah, and um, Amazon. So but when does Amazon enter the picture? Is it that we just don't know and these documents uh, eventually just came out and um, that's how we discovered Amazon is involved? 2018-ish? Would that be right? So we had... There was a basic assessment report and an environmental report. Now, this is like a 2,500-page document, a 3,000-page document. And um, as I was wading through and a number of the other uh, sort of organizations were studying this document, suddenly it struck us that there was a paragraph that, that then placed Amazon as an anchor tenant. And we have been objecting to this development since the day it was announced since those plans were, were announced. Um, and 
and and and I think you know, and then as as you know, as Leslie alluded to earlier, uh, there were inquiries around this, and we saw how, uh, you know, it was taken off the website, and and suddenly we we begin to to get a sense that um, that, that the giant tech is is actually um, behind this development, and so right up until the point where um, the municipal tribunal chair announced the approval of the rezoning. That was the first time publicly that it was actually announced. And it was announced by the city official. It was actually announced by the chair of that municipal planning tribunal. And the following day, there was a, a spate of public articles from various tech um, online uh, publications, uh, newspapers, Amazon proudly announcing the establishment of an African headquarters. This was complete news to everybody. We know that they're going to be the anchor tenant, but the idea of it being the African headquarters was a completely, this, this was one of the, the, the silent aspects of the Pandora's box that was deliberately kept from us. Um, you know, and, and it could, you know, there, there, there can be a whole uh, number of reasons for that in terms of why I decided to do this in terms of its PR strategy. Um, but on, on, on a sacred site, on a site like this, and also the, the kind of controversy around this, um, it, 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 it definitely asks and begs questions in terms of, 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 of what, you know, what the implications would have been had had they openly announced way beforehand that they were going to, and why didn't they do that? Uh, only for the you know the the mayor of, of Cape Town and, um, um, and 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 the provincial minister to to basically uh, say that um, they. Okay, I think we lost Tarek for a second here. Um, so while he's reconnecting. Um, so we're talking about transparency and we're talking about um, the question of, you know, how's Amazon getting away with this? And one of the things I want to ask, too, is why not pick another site? Right. Um, so but before I ask that, um, you know, on your website, um, there's there's in other places in the world, um, there's been fierce resistance from local citizens to Amazon constructing um, you know, their facilities, um, that raises a question as to whether the city of Cape Town offered Amazon any sweet deals to locate at the River Club, which is the site in which they're constructing. Um, do we know empirically um, confirmation as, you know, how they get tax breaks and, and various things like that? Um, do, can we speak to any concrete um, deals or does it just appear that, um, like you've been saying, that the environmental impact assessments are, um, you know, favorable, even though they shouldn't be, even though we have scientists who are coming in and including the city's own scientists who are saying that this is dangerous. Um, you had um, put it in your uh, website that there's um, basically a, uh, um, a difference of opinion between the city um, planners <laughs> and the scientists, right? So um, is it, you know, are there tax breaks and things like that? Or do we think that it's just that Amazon wields so much power and brings in so much money um, that those high up in the city in the development space, um, not in the environmental science space, but in the development space, um, basically um, want this to come through? So we, we don't really know uh, if there are any special deals going on, but we know in other settings, Amazon wields immense power and is able to extract special deals out of local governments and provincial governments. Amazon already has a special deal from the city for its electricity usage. Um, it has presence in Cape Town already in, in multiple sites, and it, there is a contract which basically gives them a reduction in the costs of electricity. Um, the, the, the nature of this particular site, well, there's, you know, one of the, one of the consultants to uh, developers who were part of the bids made the point that it's actually a very unsuited site. Uh, it's expensive to build there. It's not really the logical place to place this development. <clears throat> so, you know, from our point of view, there's something else going on. We don't know what it is. We don't know whether the developers offered some special deal, whether the cities offered some special deal, or whether 
It's simply that the officials believe that this is going to be good for the city, bringing rates, bringing taxes, create jobs, you know, all of which could be done if the development was somewhere else. Uh, it would be mm -hmm. cheaper, it wouldn't be harmful to the environment, and it wouldn't destroy a sacred floodplain. Um, that's pretty clear. Yeah, and on, on that point, I want to um, talk um, as we get closer to the end of the episode. I want to talk about um, both um, some of the, the counterpoints to the activism, pro, let's call it pro-Amazon um, uh, positions and, and talking points there, and then maybe a little bit about the activism. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the things Amazon and, and the city and its defenders will claim is that um, they're going to create say 6,000 jobs and 19,000 indirect jobs um, and facilitate local development. Um, what do you say in response to that? Again, that comes in with the question about transparency, right? Um, we do have a job shortage in South Africa. And the reason for that is like many of the reasons for the social ills in our country. It's racism. It's classism, it's those sorts of issues. Um, it's the fact that, you know, children can't go to university. Um, we were not allowed to go to school until 1994. So how do you then expect a turnover of well-paying jobs in this country? So that's the first point on that, right? So then the argument comes into play that this will create jobs, which, okay, absolutely fine. but this could also create jobs in any other part of the city. And there are so many parts of the city that, you know, it's open land, you could go right ahead and start building, right? Why does it have to be there is the question. And that, that has been unanswered. And those people who have made these decisions have not come forward and say, okay, this is why we, we um, went ahead and, we, you know, we agreed on the site, for example. But, you know, the thing that I kind of keep coming back to with this jobs argument as well is that people in government, um, I, I'd rather not say who I'm talking about, but people in government, are not being honest with the public and telling the public what sort of jobs will be created. And that's the first point. And the second point is they're also not being honest and telling the people that these jobs will not be permanent. They are most likely going to be created in the building of the, 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 um, build, the Amazon development. Um, and those are gonna be, you know, semi-skilled or unskilled labor. So physical manual labor. Once that building is standing, the, those jobs will no longer exist. That's the first, the first thing on the job argument. And the second part of that also then is that the jobs that will remain are, you know, your, your unskilled um, labor, your um, security guards, which I, I look, I don't know how it is in the US, but I can tell you in SA, those are not well-paying jobs. And so who will be doing those jobs? People of color. Um, you are not going to find a white man outside working as a security guard in the heat. That, that's not a thing that will happen. So I do think that there's a, a level of transparency that needs to be had on the jobs. Um, and it, it's not being had. And I'm coming up against that as an activist as an indigenous person, when I talk about the work that I'm doing, people go, but we need the jobs. They said there'll be 5,000 extra jobs, we need the jobs. But when I tell people the truth about what those jobs will be, according to those who have made this decision, you can tell that people, you know, fall back in what they um, feel about the situation. And then Tari can um, go on and tell you a little bit more about the indigenous arguments um, for the development because he would know more about that. Thank you. It's just to add on to, to what Nadine is saying, and I think Nadine also hits really to the nub of the matter. Um, one of the big flawed arguments here is when you're dealing with a heritage site, a heritage site which is also around recognizing genocide, restorative justice, restoration for the First Indigenous people, where is the dignity 
of having the descendants of Hassan and Koi dig up a terrain of ancestral value in order to get jobs. So that's the first point. The second point, what kind of jobs are we looking at? And Nadine has, has spoken to this very strongly. Lowest echelon jobs of, of temporary workers coming in who will be basically violating environmental policy, carrying wheelbarrows of concrete and being subjected to respiratory diseases in a climate of COVID um, and, and so forth. So the third thing, which is based on the argument, is the whole reason this development is expensive is precisely because it's on a that plane with concrete, create a concrete block. And once that block has been concretized, you then build on top of the block. Now, should the developer in Amazon uh, take the same uh, development in as far as the money that's going behind the development and shift it off the flat plane, you would find that the scale of that development would probably be three to four times the size of this one because of the amount of concrete that we're dealing with in terms of infilling um, the land. Also, to redirect a sacred river, to infill a sacred river is, is deeply insensitive. It's a violation. Um, it's a violation also to the understanding of the symbiotic relationship that the indigenous communities have with the river, the embankments and the stars. And that this place is, is, is an extraordinary place of significance in terms of our understanding of the universe. It's a place where the South African observatory is, where um, Western technology has made so much breakthrough in terms of understanding of the universe. It's a place on the mound where that observatory was founded by the British Empire, was where the first indigenous communities navigated the stars for themselves. In Khoikhovawab, it's, it's it, when you call a place where the stars gather, it's called Khamirori Ayes. How ironic is it then to have a man put himself up in a spaceship while at the same time he's violating a place of the stars. And so the notion of job employment is, is something that is really tapping in deliberately into the vulnerable uh, realities of, of, of our society and the misgivings of, 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 you know, our, of apartheid spatial planning and, and, a post and, and an apartheid a post-apartheid state, which is more of an apartheid state now as we see the fault lines through this pandemic, COVID pandemic, um, remind us that, uh, you know, um, things haven't necessarily changed, you know, fun fundamentally. Um, and, and so the economic argument is, 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 is one argument which um, needs to be tackled head on, um, because um, why do we have to expatriate this kind of violence um, to force people to into into a degrading form of of employment i I've, I've been you know there's comments coming in that you know there's this uh you know there's a, there's dignity even if you don't have a job with to clean a toilet and so forth yes there's dignity in in jobs um i think there is dignity in being able to clean into able to clean waste you know the the city is on a sewerage basin this administration has failed to deal with 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 that muck, and um, and the fissures of, of where the sewerage actually explodes is in um, informal settlements. It's in areas that have been cordoned off away from you know from, from areas that uh, you know that 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 that, that mostly um, you know are are populated in terms of class and in terms of race. Um, um, and 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 I think that um, the, the, there's more dignity in in wanting to take, um, you know, some some good detergent and clean a toilet because you want to keep your family members clean and safe, than it is to rip up a secretary for mm. for for you know for for jobs when we know that so much more jobs can be created by simply shifting off this, this particular flag. Yeah, and and um, on the jobs thing, one of the things that you pointed out uh, at your website, which is uh, leesbeck.org uh, for anybody who wants to check it out, that's L-I-E-S-B-E-E-K.org, um, is that Amazon also undermines local businesses, right? They self-preference their products on their website um, and they drive small businesses out of business. Plus, I want to add to that just through my own 
personal research experience, I've done some interviews with startups and they, I've asked them about Amazon, you know, opening its cloud center, um, you know, opening its, its facilities in Cape town. And they say, well, one thing they do is they, they basically poach talent, right? So you have a lot of skilled uh, developers. So if, if some of those jobs are going say to skilled uh, persons, then a lot of those jobs are, are, are going to be going to service Amazon instead of the uh, a foreign, you know, multinational that's uh, predatory instead of the, the local environment. And, um, um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to see that um, um, Amazon is um, claiming making these claims about jobs, but you have to also obviously take uh, those things into consideration, in addition to the consumerism that, um, you know, it, it facilitates. Um, so in terms of um, activism, um, let's let's close out with this. Um, Reverend Alan Bosak, um, again from your website, um, reminded us that colonists and apartheid leaders use strategies of divide and rule to immobilize popular resistance. He therefore called for unity and urged people to abandon what he labeled fruitless competition for pennies here and there and little bits of honors and reward bestowed on you by the new colonists, colonialists and new imperialists. Rather than fighting each other, our fight should be against the new colonialists in 2021. Um, there has been, if, if you, any, for anybody who's following this, uh, the Western uh, Cape First Nations Collective who have um, pushed a narrative of, at you and at you know some some of the uh, you know lead activists in this, um, basically saying that it's just a small you know group of vocal people who don't like it. Um, and um, here, something that really caught my my eye was um, in late 2019, a number of Koi and San structures who organized themselves as the First Nations Collective made a 180 degree turnaround and came out in support of the development. Thereafter, Laysbeck Leisure Properties Trust Director Jody Auschfrentig, that's my pronunciation, sorry, um, announced that a First Nations Media Center, an indigenous garden, an amphitheater for Koi and San ceremonies, street names and First Nation symbols would be accommodated in the development uh, precinct. So you have this um, um, First Nations collective, which is saying, no, we should be supporting this. The activists who are opposed to it are just a small group of vocal people. And then you have the develop some of the developers who are putting in these um, an amphitheater and street names and things like this to show that they respect, um, you know, to to make them for them to claim that they were respecting indigenous uh, persons here. And that goes then, I'm assuming this is, goes back to what Reverend Bosak was saying about divide and conquer. Um, nevertheless, we do know that there is um, quite a bit of support. So how does the activists, um, can you speak to um, some of these counter narratives and then um, you know, speak to the, the activism and the support that really is going on here um, in in Cape Town. Yeah. So what I will, what I would like to add is that um, personally, a lot of the kind of communications and narratives that have you know played out has been by a much older generation. There is kind of an entire group of of young people who are completely against this and haven't been included in the conversation. So that's the kind of the mighted bit of, of just, you know, my uncomfortability with that conversation and the narrative that one particular group of Indigenous people have, you know, this kind of carte blanche on the entire, you know, development and also what's going to be, you know, kind of built there for them. And so while that's all well and good, I don't think that one particular group can speak for all of us. And to put this in, a, in an easy way for people to understand, it's like asking one of the tribes 
um, of Native American peoples to speak on behalf of the entire nation. And that just wouldn't make sense. You couldn't reward or give back to one particular group of people. But um, honestly, Tariq would be able to give us some excellent um, input here. There was a two-year heritage tribunal, an historic tribunal that was put together when um, the Heritage Authority announced that they wanted to provisionally protect the site because they, they recognized um, the need to grade it, but also the fact that uh, this particular development could ostensibly have, you know, um, have some serious implications. Uh, at that particular tribunal, you know, um, San and Khoi uh, leadership from around, representing around Southern Africa, came and, uh, and, and placed very strong spiritual and oral testimony on, as to why this site was important. Uh, placed the objections against the development and asserted that this really is a place of, 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 of restitution. It's a place of, of sacred healing and it is also symbolic of, um, uh, of the birthright of, of the San and Khoi in, in Southern Africa, including the tributary descendant communities um, that, you know, uh, that Nadine is talking about. And um, so it is interesting that the, up until that point, I think that the city of Cape Town and the province had mastered a particular kind of relationship with, with developers where they could overcome certain environmental problems. Environmental challenges, you have experts. They hire the experts and they pull up some really fancy reports and will justify the concrete block on top of a leopard toad's head. Yeah. But the, the First Nations narrative this indigenous narrative that came in so strongly is something that uh, that they were not necessarily expecting, nor did they have. And the answer was first to uh, by the Department of Public Works. So in this case, the um, the Heritage Tribunal chair made very strong recommendations that um, people need to meaningfully communicate with the First Nations groups on, on this narrative. And um, what happened was that a whole process was then started by the Department of Public Works to interview the First Nation groups to talk about the, the, the intangible and tangible heritage capacity of the site from a First Nations perspective. What's interesting is that from that same independent uh, 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 practitioner was uh, soon after or simultaneously hired by the developer to do the same thing, you know, for the site, for his site, which, and then the developer's report, out of that report emerged the First Nations Collective. Before, we had never heard of this entity called a First Nations Collective. Um, now, anybody, if you're sitting in the United States or you're sitting in the rest of South Africa and South Africa, when you hear that term, you think, wow, this is the body that is representing everything. First Nations, San and Khoi under the Southern African sun. Well, that's absolutely not the case. The Gorinai Corner together with the Observatory Civic has put a high court action to stop this thing. We represent 22 San and Khoi groups, including the Tam San and all its traditional councils. When we talk about the First Nations in, in, in the Western Cape, we talk about some of the peninsular groups, like the, you know you have the Gorinai Corner, then um, you know other groups, like the you know the Kotokwa, um, and then there are there's the Kaikorana, um, and the Horokokwa, the Goenaiko, etc. These are all the sort of the Koi groups, and um, in the peninsula. And um, the First Nations Collective is a group of people who are leaders in in some of traditional councils around the country, and are also part of revivalist Koi groups as well, who have gone into a privately negotiated, brokered arrangement with the developer where they are saying that we're okay with this development if you give us a media center and a herbal garden and an amphitheater. Now, our position on this is that how can you have a media center or a, a heritage center on top of a site that has literally now just destroyed intangible heritage? That's not a heritage center. 
That's more like a cenotaph signing off a final goodbye to something that is so sacred to all of us. And then on top of it, to have it commodified, on top of it, to have this thing in a contractual form that, you know, oh, if this particular collective is going to be in charge of, of its money, it's going to be in charge of how it's going to be curated and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and so um, I also believe that when people hear when, in, that you have forces like, like Amazon, the city of Cape Town and the province, perhaps some of the leaders felt that it was a practical decision to go where the power is um, and, and, and not resist, but try and get what, what they possibly could get out of it. Um, I think for Paramount Aran and, and the chiefs that are on this side of the river, will say that if we lose the river and these embankments, we lose everything. There's one thing about this thing is that as, as the Beatles say, money can't buy me love, um, the same would, would, would apply on, on this sacred embankment. Let the richest company and the richest man in the world want to put a price on something, he can, he, he can try. But there is a community here and it's a, it's a community of, 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 of a very diverse group that are part of this campaign. It includes um, the, the indigenous uh, Khoi Khoi and San revivalist group. It also includes civics and environmental entities. And you see the divide and conquer has also been, been, been played, not just within the Khoi Khoi and San, but the race baiting. White residents, for example, who live in this particular suburb are now suddenly being accused of being NIMBYs. White environmentalists are being accused of, of, of you know, of, of being um, sort of conservative in that they rather want to walk their dogs than, than to have uh, Amazon bring development and job employment to black people. So you can see the contortion and twists and turns of particular kind of vulnerabilities in our society that have been expertly deployed literally to try and, um, you know, mess, mess the sense of unity up. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, this the this group that have been deployed either you know uh, in, in in for whatever reasons uh, you know to uh, to to rub us to 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 basically openly say that this is the best thing that has happened since sliced bread for the Sardan Koi. In fact, that group has even publicly said that this developer is has done more for the Sardan Koi than government in the history of our country. They they quoted publicly. In saying that, this is the same developer who's responsible for what the city of Cape Town likes to call genital projects, which is just a, a euphemism for catalytic gentrification projects. One of them is sitting just down the road in, in you know, in, in, in nearby Salt River Woodstock. And um, so it, it's not exactly like we're talking about a, a developer or a company that has built up a long standing relationship with indigenous and black communities in South Africa in terms of building things that are actually addressing apartheid spatial planning, that are actually addressing equity, that's actually addressing indigenous knowledge systems or, or things like that. But um, um, the fact that at some point, the developer, the city of Cape Town required an indigenous group or an indigenous person to be a spokesperson or to sit on their stoop and say that everything is okay uh, meant that, you know, it, it, it means that, you know, um, because of the, the activism that had been pushed up until this point, um, you know, they, 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 you know, this was a requirement. Um, and, and I think that uh, a lot of the Koi groups who are, some of the Koi groups who are supporting this thing have not necessarily been informed properly. Ask some of the leaders if they read the basic assessment report or, um, or the, have gone into the details of what the developers actually uh, proposing. Goes completely against the symbiotic relationship that we have with the natural systems. And so there's a level of, of how information has been deployed, um, of how um, things have, have been expressed, which, which, which short circuits straight to um, you know, a particular ideals and narratives that, 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 that allow, um, you know, um, people to think that this thing is actually good, um, fundamentally, that people think that the thing is actually uh, a sound choice for, 
you know, for uh, you know, for indigenous and black communities in in South Africa, and it uh, and and that and that has been that has has been a serious problem. Yeah. Plus, plus, in addition to that, they're probably not well informed on. I'm just going to guess. Uh, I don't want to uh, say that they don't they don't pay attention or read, but um, I would I would still guess. Um, you know, assuming you know that they are. Um, in good faith, right? That they probably haven't also read a great deal about all the exploitative things that Amazon does all over the world, from surveilling their workers to destroying the environment. Um, so as as we as we close out here, um, there is going to be a court battle coming up um, November in, in in the towards the end of November, um, and there's there is a lot of activism around this. So. Um, maybe Leslie, you can close out on this, um, in, um, or, or whoever is, is wants to answer, um, what's going to go on with that legal action? What's that about? And how can people, um, get involved, uh, if they're interested in this campaign? So, so we have basically exhausted all the administrative options for trying to, uh, stop this development. Uh, we've appealed and all our appeals have been rejected. Uh, and as we say, we believe the, the rejection of the appeals has been flawed and based upon uh, uh, considerations which are irrelevant and in some cases not lawful, um, such as the heritage issues. Uh, so we have to go to court. And in South Africa, the, the basis of going to court is um, under a piece of act uh, legislation called the Promotion of Administrative Justice Act. And we're going to seek a review of these decisions, which gave uh, rezoning uh, and also the environmental authorization and also the decisions to reject our appeals. But because the development is proceeding apace and the developer is working weekends, public holidays, as fast as they can to put the concrete down, we have an interdict application, in other words, to stop the building period until the High Court can review the decision. So it's in two parts. So on November the 24th and 25th, we have two days allocated for the interdict hearing. Um, and that we hope will come up with a decision to stop the development pending the court having a proper review of all the decisions and having all the evidence in front of it. Uh, the strategy, obviously, by the developers is to try and avoid that. To, I can see from what they've now submitted, they're trying to spend a lot of time of the two days in disputing documents. Uh, and the longer they draw it out, the better, because they're creating facts on the ground. If people want to get involved, there are different ways. I think if you communicate with our website, lesbeck.org, L-I-E-S-B-E-E-K.org, you will A, be able to make a financial contribution, you'll find information. B, you'll be able to contact us and, and, and get involved in some of the activities we're doing. So for instance, uh, next Friday, we are going to uh, hold a climate change protest near the site. Um, and uh, the day after uh, our court hearings, we're also going to be raising um, appeals about Amazon, actually. Uh, and we're going to uh, aim to give Amazon our petition of 57,400 people who've signed our petition opposing the development. And you'll be able to uh, sign that petition by going to our website and finding the links. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, Leslie, Nadine, um, Tarek, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this has been great to learn about. I, I hope that um, this, um, you know, there's more exposure on this and that um, this ongoing struggle uh, can gain more international support. And, um, you know, there's a great uh, you have a great campaign going here, and I think there really is a shot to, um, you know, win um, canceling the uh, development site. So um, I, I, it was a joy to have you on and, and to listen to you all, um, you know, inform us about this. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so thank you, much. Michael. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Michael.